0: case may be on this rotating globe, welcome to a very, very special edition of The Other Side of Midnight, the night when we attempt for the first time that we know of to broadcast hyperdimensional mathematics, geometry, and tones to an interstellar probe that came through our solar system in October of 2017, made a right-hand turn around the sun, and is now been leaving for the last uh, couple, three years in the direction of the constellation of Pegasus. It is now something like 4 billion miles away from the sun, receding in excess of the escape velocity from the solar system, never to return unless. And we'll describe tonight what the unless means. Tonight's going to be a very complicated show, so uh, why don't we start off by doing what we usually do, and then we'll get into explanations, and we will obviously, throughout the evening and the morning, we will explain to our worldwide audience, we're in something like 190-plus countries, how you, the audience, are an integral part of this experimental radio transmission to Muamua, We have some very special guests. We're, you're going to be hearing the actual transmissions. Uh, we have some technical issues in the background that we're trying to solve. So in three hours, I'm, I think we'll be able to solve them. So let me start with some news items, obviously, if you're new to the show and I did uh, Clyde Lewis's show a few days ago so we may have a lot of new members what you want to do is you want to go to the other side of midnight.com that's that's our homepage and on the homepage you will see a large banner for tonight which says humanity calling a a live radio test transmission ahead of December 24th and we're going to describe what the Christmas Eve uh, reference there is all about. There's a a reason for everything we are doing. And uh, we're going to be joined in the first uh, uh, hour by three guests, and then we will have two guests, and then we may have many more guests in the third hour. And all of that will be explained as we go along. So what you want to do is you want to click on that banner. That will take you to the guest page tonight. And right under the banner, you will see uh, where it says Fast Links to Items. Click on My Items. That takes you to my section of the guest page uh, of our Radio with Pictures uh, demonstration of various links and videos and audios and um, uh, stills. Item number one, we lead tonight again with La Palma. Remember, last week we we announced that The amount of lava erupted by this little island, this volcano, on this little island of La Palma, which is in the Canary Islands off the northwest coast of Africa, had exceeded any lava eruptions for the last 500 years. And we're watching La Palma because, in a worst-case scenario, about half the island could slide into the Atlantic Ocean creating in some geophysical models what's called a mega tsunami as several billion tons of material you know kind of slides into the water at a couple hundred miles an hour uh, in its final plunge that would create a tsunami that would race across the North Atlantic in all directions eventually reaching the shores of Europe of Spain of Africa of the uh, northeastern coasts of uh, um, Canada The United States, the Caribbean islands It would go around into the Gulf of Mexico It would even cause uh, uh, major flooding along the Gulf Coast And of course the northern parts of uh, uh, South America This would be a absolutely awful mega catastrophe Because something like 100 million people would be in harm's way if this very low probability event but not zero were to occur so every week we have been since September uh, updating you with our first item this is a direct link to the volcano watch which is monitoring 24-7 the status of La Palma Uh, if the island swells like a souffle that could trigger the half of the island that broke off uh, A fissure was created in an earthquake, major earthquake in 1949, and that's why these models are out there. The first one was put together, I think, around uh, 2001 and published. Now, there have been other models in years since which say that the worst-case scenario cannot happen. But, of course, it's always prudent to assume the worst and plan for the best. So... Uh, I would recommend you put this alert on your phones. So if you live in a area along the coast, all around the North Atlantic Basin, you um, can be ready to grab your go bag and depart for, you know, places high and dry and well inland. I would say uh, 100 miles or so would be a kind of a nice round number. So again... This is a low probability event, but the um, activity of volcanoes all over the world has been rather remarkable of late. We're having a a kind of a a rush of of, uh, formerly dormant uh, volcanoes erupting, uh, including places like Mount Etna. So you want to keep a close watch on that. And uh, uh, again, if the worst were to happen, you would be prepared. Item number two. I mean, we're watching not only interesting geophysical events, but meteorological. You will not believe this. When I read it, I did not believe it. This is a story, item number two, in my section of Radio with Pictures. Hawaii tonight is under a blizzard warning. Remember, Hawaii is at 19.5 degrees north. It's in the tropics. They are warning, the Weather Service is warning, of as much as 12 inches of snow and winds up to 100 miles an hour on the island of, um, I believe it's the big island of Hawaii uh, through until Sunday. I mean, this is bizarre. When was the last time you heard of blizzards in Hawaii? Now, it snows often atop Mauna Kea and Mauna Loa. Those are the huge uh, um, shield volcanoes which, uh, you know, extend up to, um, you know, 20,000 feet or so above the sea level. But the idea at sea level, uh, you will have on the island itself uh, blizzard conditions with blowing snow and periods of zero visibility. I mean, this is absolutely bizarre And so you might want to click on that and take a look at the uh, video that was recorded on the top of, uh, I believe it was uh, Mauna Kea, as this coal front enveloped the island and moved up the island chain. And uh, that's an extraordinary video to be coming from the island of Hawaii. Uh, Needless to say, this planet is undergoing remarkable, amazing transformative transformations. And uh, that might not be the last of it. Item number three, as if all of this were not enough, a couple of days ago, the Chinese announced that they are planning to send their little U-2-2 rover, which, remember, landed as part of the Chang-4 unmanned uh, reconnaissance of the far side of the moon a couple of years ago uh, in 2013 they dropped an unmanned uh, lander and rover on the on the near side the front side of the moon the side that we can always see because remember the moon rotates in the same period of time that it takes to orbit the earth so we only see essentially one side on the far side in this large uh, very ancient eroded crater called von karman Um, who was a very famous space scientist who was involved in the creation of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in the 1930s. In von Karman, little Chang 3 is sitting and its rover, U2 the second, uh, and U2 means Jade Rabbit in the parlance of the mythology of Chang, which is the Chinese goddess of the moon, and there's a whole backstory there that you can, of course, Google. That rover has been kind of prowling around uh, doing chemical analyses and taking pictures and, you know, looking at interesting anomalies on the uh, floor of this very, very large crater, which is just about exactly opposite on the far side of the moon from the center point uh, of the near side of the moon. So if, you, if the moon was transparent, you could look through the moon and you would see the location of uh, Chang uh, 4 on the far side, which is exactly opposite the location. If you drew a line from Chang 3 and Mari Imbrium on the front, down through the moon, through the core, through the center, out the far side, that is where the Chang 4 rover uh, and lander are located. And that's not an accident. I have said from the beginning That one of the things the Chinese are doing, but they're just not telling anybody, is they're measuring the hyperdimensional physics of the moon orbiting the Earth, interacting with the sun during various alignments, which are called in the Earth Moon system lunar and solar eclipses. And on Friday, actually, in the wee hours uh, in the East Coast Eastern time zone, of of December 4th, which was early, early this morning, it was still December 3rd here and still December 3rd in California, but it was December 4th, Saturday morning in New York, there was a total eclipse of the sun as seen from the earth, which stretched across Antarctica because of the tilt of the orbit of the moon relative to the orbit of the earth, etc. That's where the eclipse path tracked for this particular event now if you're on the moon if you're on the far side of the moon it's in bright daylight it was high noon on the moon but beneath you stretching behind you through the moon was the earth being eclipsed by the shadow of the moon projected on our planet and in that configuration The alignment between Chang-3 and Chang-4, given that we have measured the same kind of alignment with the Accutron technology, should have made the moon resonate with all kinds of interesting hyperdimensional frequencies and uh, echoes and permutations of this physics. And the Chinese are perfectly positioned to have measured all that, but of course they're not telling us what they're finding. They don't even acknowledge that that's one of the key experiments that they're performing. We had to figure it out from first principles and where they placed these two unmanned landers on the moon. However, in the same time frame, which was uh, a couple days ago, uh, on December 3rd, uh, remember that's Friday, the Chinese announced that its U-2 Two rover on the far side of the moon is going to roll up or rove to an extraordinarily interesting object sitting on the horizon, which is about 80 meters away. And you can see in item number three the photo of the object that they're going to investigate. And if you look at item number four in my section, uh, I've done an enlargement. Click on it and it gets bigger. There's something sitting just over the horizon which looks like some kind of cubicle structure with a flat top, straight sides. Looks like two pillars in front facing the U2 black and white camera, some maybe 80, 90 meters away. It could be the top of, of a tower, which is below the horizon, so you can't see the base. Anyway, the Chinese have announced that they are going to send the U-2-2 rover in the direction of this object, this cube uh, of whatever dimensions that it turns out to be. And what's really remarkable is that they have called this in Chinese. Now, we don't get this through the Western media, In the Western media, they say the Chinese announced they're going to check out a cube-shaped mystery house. Whereas, because of one of our uh, colleagues and uh, friends of this show, Robert Morningstar, who knows Chinese very, very well, he translated the actual Chinese uh, ideograms uh, into English, and they're calling it, the Chinese are calling this object, God's secret little house. What? God's secret little house. Now, that's bizarre because it implies that they already know what this object, this structure could be. They're calling it a little house, meaning it's artificial, and then they're connecting it to God, not Chang, not the goddess of the moon in Chinese mythology, but to God. I wonder which God and why is it secret? And why are they announcing this ahead of time? Because when they landed on the moon, I'm sorry, on Mars, you know, a few months ago and landed right next to some extraordinary artificial structures that we've discussed in uh, previous programs, they ran like hell in the opposite direction. So, why are they announcing? that they're going to explore in detail in close-up by roving over to it a mere 250 some feet, which is nothing. I mean, it'll take the rover, you know, a couple of days at uh, even a modest pace to get there and to give us stunning close-up images. Why are they announcing before they do this that they're going to do this? Maybe it's because according to a lot of celestial portents, alignments, hyperdimensional physics, geometry, December, this December, from tonight through the next several weeks, through Christmas weekend, the signs, the celestial geometry, The resonant hyperdimensional physics is optimum for some kind of major, and I mean major, paradigm shift. So by the time we get to Christmas weekend, where we're going to be doing another show and broadcasting uh, to Oumuamua, as well as to the moon, because the moon is not visible from the transmitter site tonight In northern Arizona, but it will be visible on the Christmas weekend of the 24th, the 25th, and the 26th. Maybe by then, the Chinese will have revealed what they have found from going over and exploring in detail God's secret little house. I mean, good grief. Good grief. Okay, to the subject of the evening. As I said a couple of minutes ago, in October of 2017, a bizarre object came whipping through the solar system. It fell toward the plane of all the planets. The planets kind of orbit the sun in the same plane, more or less, like an old-fashioned LP record, and at about a 33-degree angle to that plane, and you heard me correctly, 33 hyperdimensional degrees, this object, uh, which NASA called Amuamua, fell into the solar system from the direction of the constellation of Lyra, the harp in the northern hemisphere in the northern part of the sky. It then fell into the plane of the solar system, The Sun's gravity forced it into a very sharp, essential right angle turn, another square, and it departed the solar system um, in the direction of the constellation of Pegasus, which has a lot of significance in um, symbology, in astrology, and in general uh, celestial mythology. Um, there is an animation that uh, NASA put out at, at the Hubble Space Science uh, Institute, Space Telescope Institute in Baltimore, which is item number five. If you click on that, there's a really amazing three-dimensional moving animation of a Muamua falling into the solar system, making the right-hand turn, and then leaving in the direction of uh, of Pegasus which is a constellation made up of stars that have a geometric configuration as seen from Earth, a kind of a giant square. We're back to squares, okay? So we're kind of piling mythology on mythology on mythology. The first time that we discussed, I believe, I went back into our archives and looked this afternoon, the first time that we actually discussed what Oumuamua might have been And where I presented our model that, in fact, it could have been an ancient interstellar artificial craft, which was kind of like a time capsule, which was sent many tens of thousands of years ago to rendezvous with this solar system in this time period. The first time we presented my model was on the show, which is listed as item number six. This is a show we did with Gordon White. We talked about a Muamua as being an ancient E.T.C. seed ship. Uh, we had Christopher Knowles on the show as well. He talked about some of his research relating to the origin constellation of Lyra, in which there is the uh, uh, you know, rather remarkable parallelogram configuration, as well as a star called Vega. Um, Vega, you may remember, Uh, became well-known in popular culture uh, because it was featured in Carl Sagan's movie uh, called Contact. And it was from Vega that an interstellar radio transmission was received by Jodie Foster playing her uh, radio astronomer character in Contact at the Very Large Array, which is a telescope array run by the National Science Foundation Uh, south of me here in the land of enchantment here in New Mexico. Really remarkable movie. You should see it if you haven't. If you have, you should see it again. It's all very relevant because years later, out of that constellation did not come a radio transmission, but an actual physical object which was moving extraordinarily fast. It was known immediately that it was not a member of any distant cometary family. Uh, it was thought to for a while to be a comet, but telescopic observations, like every major observatory on the planet, dropped everything they were doing and took a lot of pictures and did a lot of spectroscopy and, you know, there were listening efforts with radio telescopes. It was not a comet because it was never surrounded by a coma of outgassing or did it form a tail. Now, in, in 2019, uh, 2020, and again this year, in February of this year, an astronomer at Harvard, Avi Loeb, who used to be the director of the Harvard College Observatory until he resigned, he published a very, to the mainstream, shocking hypothesis, totally independent of our calculations and our analyses. So we've got two separate individuals, myself and Dr. Loeb, who have independently from separate sets of data come to the same conclusion that Oumuamua had all the characteristics of some kind of intelligently designed interstellar probe, a visitor, a time capsule, a one-time passer-by, whatever you want to call it. So that's item number seven from his interview in Scientific American. Now, one of the things that was so bizarre about Muamua, if its orbital celestial mechanics were not in and of themselves anomalous in that they followed hyperdimensional numbers in terms of distance from the sun, you know, um, closest approach, angle of, of entry into the solar system, into the equatorial plane of all the planets, etc. etc. As Amuamua made that turn and was leaving the solar system, again, and the normal model, never to return, it began to accelerate, meaning by about a tenth of a percent, its velocity did not slow according to any predictable Newtonian analysis of the way gravity functions on interplanetary and interstellar objects. Instead, it actually accelerated very, very modestly but detectably by means of a number of different observations. These were calculations and observations made at independent telescopes, and observatories all over the planet. They all came up with the same data, the same number. A muamua against all odds was in fact leaving the sun faster than it approached, which under normal physics is impossible unless something was pushing it. Well, what could that something have been? Well, again, the mainstream said, oh, well, Dr. Loeb, You know, you're wrong. The anomalous motion is not due to it being any kind of a designed artifact, like uh, Loeb thinks it could have been a giant solar sail being pushed away from the sun by solar radiation pressure, by the light of the sun. Uh, Or it could have been a comet, which was releasing gas kind of like item number eight. This is a close-up of uh, the comet 67P, photographed by the Dawn spacecraft, and you can see all the outgassing. That's what normal comets do. And when they do all that incredible activity, the action-reaction causes them to move anomalously in their orbits because they're basically being jetted around by miniature um, erupting pockets of gas like water vapor that vaporizes under the sunlight near Perihelion, and it moves them. There's an action-reaction, and so they're under some kind of thrust. Our model is totally different based on items in number nine. This is a graph from my now-departed friend, Dr. Bruce De Palma, who was a physicist who conducted an incredibly revelatory, incredibly simple physics experiment. He took two spinning Uh, pinballs steel pinballs and he ejected them into a parabolic arc you can see the arcs one was spinning one was not spinning and as you can see and the spinning one is coated blue the non-spinning one is coated in the photograph uh, kind of a, a pale orange and the spinning object the spinning ball accelerated faster rose higher and fell faster, as you can see from the graph, than the non-spinning object. That implies that this physics, this hyperdimensional physics that De Palma figured out many, 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 many years ago, that that physics, in fact, is involved in the anomalous motions of a Muamua, an object that tonight Because of all these characteristics, we are assuming could be something akin to what once was called a Bracewell probe, some kind of robotic uh, messenger, a robotic monitor that came through the solar system and may in fact still be functioning, in which case, just like a certain movie, we tonight are going to communicate with a muamua for the first time in its own hyper-dimensional code. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
1: And pause. She sent us four quavers, a group of five quavers, a group of four semi quavers. The only thing these phrases have in common, of I hope
2: somebody's taken all this down. What are we saying to each other? Seems they're trying to teach us a basic tonal vocabulary. It's the first day of school, fellas. Crazy phase where I made mistakes before the internet and before social media and before any of this. Whereas now you can't do that. There's no such thing. So look you're saying about black and white and what it does is it stops people expressing themselves. People are too frightened. It's like, you know, I want to say something but if what if I use the wrong term? But I remember a story a couple of years ago where Benedict Cumberbatch who at the time was a darling in the media's eyes was complaining about the disparity between the treatment of um, black actors and of white actors. And, and he was sticking up and saying, you know, they're not getting paid as well. They're not getting the jobs that they should be getting. And there being there is no equality. But what he said was there isn't equality for colored actors. Well, you've said colored there, Benedict. You can't do that. And so went for him and he was vilified and he had to come out and do a big apology now what it was it was was a slip of the tongue he's obviously not racist he's actively trying to say that there is discrimination and he's trying to stick up for that community but he was vilified and attacked and that's what happens now and so when people make their mistakes now they make their mistakes on the internet they make their mistakes on social media where they're screenshotted Forever. And so I think that's all part of the conditioning that people are frightened. You know, if you're in a position where I don't know what to say, I don't know what to say, in the end, you'll go, Well, I won't say anything then. The fallout of this is going to be extraordinary with that because people don't realize, you know, when you, 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 you're you phoning up the police and grasping on your neighbors, and when all this ends, they're still going to be your neighbors and you're still going to have to live next door to them. And Good luck with that. Hello, everyone. My name's Gareth Ike. It's been a pleasure to talk on the other side of the news. Fantastic conversation with Cynthia, Timothy and Anetta. And I wish you all the best with a fantastic podcast.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to this very special edition of the Other Side of Midnight. Uh, things are in a kind of a state of flux. Let me tell you what's going on. In the background, from time to time during the program this evening, you're going to hear not exactly the tones from Close Encounters, but something kind of approximating it. We'll describe what we mean by that in a minute. We have a member of our guest uh, uh, panel tonight with us who can only stay. Till the top of the hour, so I'm going to go to him first. I'm going to delay bringing on David and Jimmy because they we have the rest of the evening with them to describe in great detail what we're doing. But just be be aware that in the background, as we're talking, we are sending about a five-minute sequence over and over and over again, composed of specific tonal frequencies selected because they happen to be the representation of hyperdimensional torsion field geometry and physics, which has been recorded all over the world in our own ancient sites, as well as modern sites, up to and including, oh, wait for this one, the Washington Monument in central Washington, D.C. And will you hear what we've, what David has actually decoded regarding that and the idea of interstellar communication and the physics, but I want to go to um, to our our first guest tonight, Dr. Bruce Solheim. Uh, Dr. Solheim is a professor of American history. Um, that's not his only claim to fame because uh, he also, for the last. Uh, several decades, has been in conversation with exactly one of the people that we're hoping to talk to out there beginning tonight, i.e. an extraterrestrial. So without further ado,
1: Bruce, welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight. <clears throat> hey, thank you, Richard, and it's, uh, yeah, it's great to, to, to be with uh, all these wonderful people, and it's very exciting. Very exciting.
0: Well, I think we're making history because I know there's a lot of kind of on the record experiments in communication and listening and transmitting and all that going back, you know, uh, like a hundred years. But I think tonight is the first time that anybody has gotten the right language to attempt to be open hailing frequencies and and to begin real communication. And as I said, it's based on our own extraordinarily redundant terrestrial ancient history in the dimensions and geometry and placement of extraordinary numbers of ancient sites all over the planet, not the least of which is the structures on the Giza Plateau in, uh, in, in, in Upper Egypt. Now, you have a Uh, a a, a friend who is, as Michael uh, Hall said the other night, not from here. Give us a thumbnail sketch of a, how you guys started communicating and what happened when you put to him specifically questions around our central object of the night, this interstellar anomaly, Amuamua.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, well, thank you, Richard. The, uh, um, I've been in communication with and actually uh, yeah he, uh, the, uh, an entity known as Anzar, and he calls himself Anzar the progenitor, and uh he's he's an extraterrestrial. He calls himself an uh an ancient alien mystic, but he is the progenitor, so he was the first, our first contact having something to do with the uh our evolution. I, I, you know, that's what he's been telling me, but I, I've been in contact with him, uh, pretty, you know, consistently three, three times, four times a week during these spirit walks that I do, uh, since, yeah, for the last four years, three and a half years. And I transcribe all of these, uh, these spirit walks and all the communication that I get with him. And, uh, it, but it, doesn't only come during the spirit walks in fact the when we talked on the phone uh you mean you and I? yeah yeah you and i talked on the phone i it's it's almost like i get a whisper in my ear and and that's kind of the way it is when i'm on my spirit walk too so i don't necessarily have to be in a meditative state and on a spirit walk to get information or, or downloads or whatever and uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. And the, the word that, that came to me while we were talking, while you and I uh, were talking was logarithmic. <laughs> and it was, just, I, we weren't talking about that. It just, it just was whispered in my ear. So when I took a, a, a walk on, on December 1st, I asked specifically, you know, to get more specific information and uh Ansar, who I've been in communication with and I've been actually contacted by since I was little uh but really just been in communication with him the last three and a half years uh gave me some information now the way it comes in is kind of uh it it it's not his fault it's it it's not this the uh the the uh um uh, You know, it's the receiver's fault, if there's any fault in it. It, It's not the sender. It's not the transmitter. So I do the best I can to to understand what he's telling me. But when I asked him about this project that you have, you know, going on tonight and and testing it, and then, of course, on on Christmas Eve uh, about Oumuamua, uh, he told me that these are the words he used. He said it was uh, targeted, monitored. And then he used the word sentinel, which is a, a, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a great word, uh, r- receiving. And then he used the word logarithmic and then he used the word base two. Now, you know, I, I'm not a mathematician, I'm a historian, but I think mostly when you say, you know, logarithms are usually base 10. Right. And base two would be more along the lines of like, uh, I think, in computer science, you know, binary. Right. Hmm. So if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Uh, And then he said communication. He said nonlinear. Then he said uh, he told me information map, which is kind of interesting. Guidance. uh, And then homing signal, which makes a lot of sense compared, you know, based on what you're telling me you guys are trying to do. And, you know, hinting at perhaps it might, you know, Amuamua might be coming back.
0: Well, one of the Uh, things we're going to try to ask it during the Christmas weekend, because we're going to transmit we won't be on the air, but we're going to transmit on the 24th, which is the center of this hyperdimensional window that we've calculated. And then on Christmas night, we'll have a live show with transmissions. And then on the 26th, we'll have transmissions. Those will be much more complicated and much more comprehensive than the ones we're doing tonight. Tonight is basically just a test to see if. The whole system works and uh right and and, and we're going to kind of background the audience into how they can get ready to participate and the way we want them to participate is if they get signals if they get a response and we'll lay out how they can get a response they will let us know and if you have thousands of people all over the planet reporting the same thing it's going to be pretty hard to ignore that kind of groundswell of independent confirmation that something remarkable has happened.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very excited about, about what you, you know, what you guys are doing. I was, I was very, uh, uh, honored to be, uh, invited to be on tonight. And, uh, I, I wish I could stay longer cause I want to see what's going <laughs> to, you know, see what's going to happen. But, but anyway, that, uh, that's my part in it, is is that I do have this communication and, and it's, um, it's something that I haven't, I've only recently begun talking about and it, but it makes perfect sense based on, uh, I mean, I've had a very paranormal life since I was a little kid beginning at age four and, uh, you know, th- paranormal things happening, uh, frequently and, uh, but randomly. And it was really the last four years or so that I, um, have been able to manage it in any way. Uh, and I'm not going to say control because I don't assume that I have control of all this. That would be very presumptuous of me. But to say that I have some kind of management system is, is is you know, appropriate. And, uh, but, you, you know, and I think we talked about this earlier. I don't necessarily have to be in a spirit walk mode, in a meditative mode to get information and uh and and this it's it's very helpful to me in my you know as, as a writer and uh as a uh as a historian you know to get this kind of information and uh and i use it in my my academic life and you know writing whether it's fiction or non-fiction whatever so you know, some people call it the muse you know but uh i i think it's uh you know, we are tapping into this in- intelligence, the space intelligence, hyper hyperdimensional entities that uh, can can give us the information that we need, the clues that we need to uh, to figure all this out and-, and understand our place and what we're supposed to be doing. And I think you're right on target. <laughs>
0: well that's encouraging uh do you want to describe that that one diagram you got in your section of radio with pictures again folks the yeah. way you get to it is you you click under tonight's banner at the top of the guest page click on uh, uh bruce's items and that will take you to a very to me a very familiar figure but how does it how does it play against uh, anzar your alien or et friend
1: yeah, uh, so it's uh, you know when you look at it, there's uh, one way of looking at it. Is it looks like it's a big triangle with an upside down triangle inside of it, or you could look at it as three triangles stacked kind of on on top of each other. One of them positioned on the the top of the of the other two at the at the base, and uh, I, this is what I, I, it was downloaded to me. And it started. It started this way, Richard. in Kind of an interesting way. I was on my spirit walk on my usual route, and suddenly I looked down. I never really looked down at this one particular spot. And what I saw were uh, three triangular—you um, know, not manhole covers, but water. You, you know, like these these iron things that that uh, uh, cover a hole that would have some kind of water fixture or, or valve in it. And like, there were three like, of them Like together. a public, like a public utility, a public utility. And it said water and there was three of them, but they were three, uh, not exactly configured the way, you know, the symbol that Ansar gave me, but they were three together and they were triangular. And I thought, Wow, that's really odd. I've never noticed that before. And when I saw that, then it, it, uh, you know, th- th- this is kind of the signal that I I needed to get, and then the the symbol came to me. This now, when did this occur? Uh, I would say maybe three years ago. Oh, okay, so the
0: beginning of your more recent conversation.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and so then it was made clear to me that this is this is his symbol. I don't know if it's for his people or for him personally. Uh, you know I need to ask him actually more about it, but uh that 's the symbol that i 've been using kind of like a
0: geometric coat of arms, yeah, maybe hmm, because yeah. when I look at it, I see instantly you know our own work reflected the equilateral triangle that 's what the the big one mm-hmm. is in in that 's a two d delta, you know like the delta variant of the virus that's mm-hmm. that 's a delta it 's the Greek letter alpha, beta, gamma, delta, all right? But it also is a 2D representation of the 3D figure we've talked about endlessly on this show and in my, you know, writings and research, the mm-hmm. tetrahedron and the mm-hmm. tetrahedron in the sphere and the, you know, relationship of energy and planetary and stellar, uh, you know, processes, et cetera, et cetera. Well, by putting those other triangles inside it, Therefore, if you think of it as a kind of an origami figure, you make it out of paper, and then you just fold each of those other triangles toward each other in the back or in the front. You can move it toward Mm -hmm. you. You wind up creating a 3D figure, which is a tetrahedron. Mm -hmm. So your guy's symbol is the symbol of the physics of the universe that Mm we figured out totally independently and I find that very, very uh, reassuring because it's independent information coming to us from a very unusual source, saying yeah. we're on the right track.
1: Yeah, I would. I I'd, I'd say it is uh, at at the very least a synchronicity. And it's the <laughs>
0: heart of our communications tonight. Okay, yeah. let me let me while we still got you. Let me introduce mm-hmm. David and and Jimmy. Uh, David Sarita, of course is our uh, citizen scientist who is one of the uh, uh, mainstays of tonight's experiment. Uh, I've known David for several years. He was on the show earlier, a couple, three years ago. I unfortunately was ill, so someone else actually took the uh, hosting chair. Um, He has kind of decided at an early age to guide his education into all kinds of interdisciplinary areas, Like world religions and meditation, philosophy, uh, science, uh, uh, kind of, you know, out there, fringe science, some would call it, physics, photography, screenwriting, art, film, music, consciousness, UFOs, crop circles, history, mainstream history, sacred sites, transpersonal psychology, yoga, and I could go on and on. And, of course, his full bio is there on the other side of midnight. So, David, welcome back. Uh, you've been, you know, this is your second time in like a week, and uh, this is pretty, pretty interesting tonight.
3: Yeah, and Richard, you and I go way back to the Art Bell days because I was a regular in Art Bell, but but after you started, and that's where I learned about you. And I, you were my favorite guest on Art Bell, and how your mind for me is is the only one as as a host and co-investigator that can really take this to to a supreme level and you know i want to point out you know that it was actually um the co-discoverer of the aids virus Luc Montagnier, that who proved that human dna was a transmitter and receiver because of course dna is it like an inductor transmitter coil receiver coil but it's fluid and it has a fluid dynamic and and he actually measured that DNA could receive and transmit ultra-low frequencies equal to the Schumann resonance of 7 to 7.83 hertz so therefore consciousness and the nervous system actually is is part of a tuned circuit So so part of our experiences that we call psychic are actually part of a circuit because our bones are calcium which is a metal and it's a very good conductor it was previously believed that calcium was not a good conductor and under a microscope at the crystal lattice scale calcium is a cube with six pyramids in it on the crystal lattice scale and so is gold by the way so that means with piezoelectricity which is applying pulses and frequency pressured pulses into the human skeleton it emits an energy field, a pulsed energy field that can that can transmit and receive real electromagnetic energy. So sometimes, you know, when we're having a, a contact experience, and in fact, this happened to me this morning at 4 a.m., and this is shocking because this, this has never happened to me. At 4 a.m., precisely, I heard a crash through the window so loud, and all of a sudden, I see a giant rock next to my head on the pillow. And I wake up, and of course that that didn't physically happen, but it it came from the south southwest from direction through my window as a kind of beckoning contact experience to what we would be doing the, the same night because that was this morning at four a.m. and we're talking about a which is which is potentially a conscious. Um, either consciously directed or, or or in technologically directed rock, or is it a spacecraft, or is it a probe, or is it a rock with an antenna stuck in it that's being... Exactly, kind of a repurposed natural object. Right, and, and in fact, we can do that. There's a good scientific experiment because rock has got conductor and semiconductive material. It can function as kind of like a crystal oscillator because it has multi-layered you know, um, semiconductive and conductive. Well, keep weapon. in mind
0: that all these ancient sites we've been talking about, you know, we we we've had a conversation with Maria Wheatley. We've had her on many, many times. We were talking about Stonehenge, A. Berry, Silver Hill. These are basically solid state rock ancient technologies that function as exquisite transducers for the hyperdimensional field. Exactly.
3: So when you... When you take that into account and you take into account that the God of the prophets told the prophets to place to Abraham to place an uncut stone that would be the, the temple a receiver to communicate with God, you know, and therefore it had to be a natural rock, but it actually had this telepathic or interdimensional communication ability, right? And you go to this is shocking. You, you, most people have never seen what I'm going to tell you. You go to Matthew 16, 18, 1, 6, 1, 8 is the golden ratio. And it says, upon this rock I will build mm. my church. Now remember, the church is a temple to communicate with God and in fact, the Holy of Holies which is a cube, which we, we could be looking at on the dark side of the moon in this new Chinese you know, rover image, but the, which is God's little house. <laughs> His Holy of secret little house. Secret, secret little, little house, house, you see. And the Holy of Holies at the time of Moses was 10 by 10 by 10 royal cubits, as per the book of Ezekiel. A cubit plus a hand, is God only used the royal cubit, not the common cubit. A lot of people make that mistake. But then when, when, when you look at the Queen's Chamber in the Great Pyramid, it's the same measurement as Moses' holy of holies, ten by ten by ten royal mm. cubit, and then you come to the time of Solomon and God's little house multiplies by an octave, which is times two. So, so you know the the message that our friend got from his ET contact about the two may have to be it may potentially be an octave, because an octave is any frequency. So if you take a four thirty two. Your a note, which is middle a an octave you take the frequency times two to go up and you divide it by two to go down, so an octave is a is a two function
0: okay let me let me do a little housekeeping here Bruce, can yeah. you stay a few minutes after the top of the hour
1: yeah, yes i I can and I I had, a, I had a, a question for you guys just real quick before because this is fascinating, and I just wanted to ask you guys who have all this this scientific knowledge uh Another thing Ansar tells me all the time is to remember to be the light. To be the light. That's what he tells me, and and it is it is true that
3: our DNA does emit light, right? Oh, of course, you're. you're... You, yeah. Your whole body, the infrared heat coming off of your chest, which I've, if you take night vision binoculars in mm-hmm. the middle of the night and get close to somebody, it'll blind you. Yeah, but there's also a
0: phenomenon called bioluminescence. So we literally oh, yeah. bio-photons. do bio-photons. emit biophotons. Okay, let me bring Jimmy in yeah. here before the top of the hour here. Jimmy is our chief radio engineer tonight, he's been involved in amateur radio since childhood has a passion for building things, including antenna arrays. And he built the arrays that we're using tonight, his transmitters, his antennas, to transmit the first hyperdimensional codes that we know of. I mean, the deep state could have been doing this all along, but they're not telling us if they are. So this is the first public hyperdimensional communication to open hailing frequencies with whatever could be piloting this extraordinarily weird object. We'll talk about how weird it is in the uh, uh, next segment of the program. So let me bring Jimmy on. Uh, Jimmy, what are we doing right now?
4: Good evening, everyone, and thank you, Richard, for for having me on the show. So we are uh, currently, uh, the uh, antenna arrays uh, that are uh, not too far from me are directed towards uh, Oumuamua, as we speak. Uh, It's towards the constellation of Pegasus. And uh, there's a live, cam, uh, live camera on top of the antenna array, which uh, allows us to have a live uh, view of, of the sky if, and what's happening in the sky. And I have uh, around me uh, five uh, <laughs> computer screens, a lot of uh, very sophisticated and expensive equipment, high-tech equipment. And uh, we have essentially the capability of broadcasting towards Oumuamua. At a quarter of a million watt on the 432 megahertz band and 150,000 watt on 144 megahertz band, and so uh, we—it's a very exciting night, and there's already a lot happening, and which we'll, which we'll talk a bit later. But a very exciting night, so uh, it's uh, it's going to make history. So uh, again, t- thanks for having me on the show.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, this is really amazing because I'm not so sure about it, anybody else, but. I believe this is historic in that we've never, we, the human race, publicly have never taken our own history, recorded everywhere around the planet, and literally beamed it back to folks out there, not from here, who may have sent something akin to a Bracewell probe. And we'll, you know, kind of talk about what that is in the next segment. But this is the beginning tonight of a series of transmissions that will be enlarged in complexity, in depth, in subject matter, in the conveyance of who we are, in the language, the universal language of the hyperdimensional realities themselves. And who knows, answers could come, as you're going to hear, in many, many forms. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Over and out.